while Amy has once again raised her hand and accepted a new role as Global Vice President of Inside Sales at Carbon Black, this conversation we had in June of 2018 illustrates the reason why putting yourself out there to your network opens so many doors and creates so many opportunities that you'd be foolish not to, even if you love your current job. Take a listen and then reconnect with someone you've been meaning to talk to. Usually those top performers, those people who are onto something, they're doing something that they don't recognize is what is helping contribute to their success. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host. And our weekly inspiration comes from Michael Jordan, who said talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Today, I'm joined by Amy Appleyard. She's the vice president of sales at Log Me In and is on a mission to enable today's modern workforce. In addition to running her own company for 10 years, Amy has held leadership positions at Staples in finance, strategy, and marketing, all before taking on her current role. If you ever wanted to see exactly how networks can impact your career, this episode's for you. Before we dive in this week, for those of you who actually know me, you know I'm a huge pro wrestling fan, so much so that my intro to this show is inspired by Big Van Vader. Known to his family as Leon White, Vader passed away last week from complications from pneumonia. He gained legendary status wrestling in Japan and is widely regarded as one of the greatest super heavyweight wrestlers ever. Rest in peace, Vader. All right, make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 95. But now let's get to the conversation where Amy talks about the joy she gets when a sales rep gets that light bulb moment in their career. I think the main thing that motivates me is really seeing others succeed. So building teams and growing talent. Um, I just love to kind of have that see when, you know, experience when reps um, or sales managers have that just light bulb go off when, when things really all kind of come together and people get crazy excited about something that we've been trying to to break through on. So that's a lot of fun for me. And then ultimately that leads to um, building, uh, you know, scalable growth for an organization. Um, But it definitely starts at that individual, that, sales rep, sales manager level as the key toward building um, bigger and broader teams that can help an organization grow. Well, we're going to go all over the place in our conversation. Uh, It was probably by accident that you used the word light bulb there, but I want to lean into that personally for a second. I know you've done a lot in your career, but uh, when I read that you started a theatrical lighting design firm, it made me kind of do a double take. Tell me about uh, that experience. Okay, sure. So I was, um, even in high school, I really loved working in theater, especially behind the scenes backstage. And um, I actually studied theater in college. Uh, I was a theater major and through a series of summer internships, got really just fascinated with lighting and the behind the scenes work that goes on to to light up a show and ended up moving to New York right after college. Yeah, I moved to New York right after college. And the way you kind of do it is you start your own um, small company, an LLC. And, um, and then you just build up a, a network or an organization of folks uh, kind of around you and connect mostly word of mouth and get different shows and, and a, kind of a career was born from that. You know, I've been a LogMeIn customer for more than 10 years now. I love the JoinMe product. Um, but, you know, I'm used to self-procuring online. I want to 
you to talk to me about your sales process today. Tell me about the products you guys have and, and why do typical customers buy from you? We're a technology company based in Boston and offer um, cloud-based connectivity solutions. We're actually one of the top 10 SaaS companies. So even though we're headquartered here, um, and this is where um, most of the growth started, uh, we're actually a global organization and have grown um, more recently through acquisitions. And so we have acquisitions in all over EMEA, a company in Israel. We've got uh, companies on the West Coast, um, just purchased a small company in Utah. So the line of business that, that my team's work in is the communications and collaborations line of business. So the Join Me product is is one of ours. And we have a nice transition between e-com all the way into sales. Now, you haven't always been the person that you are today working with billion dollar corporations and and uh, the kind of scale and growth that you are here. But take me way back. You already started to allude to your first small business, but how did you actually even get into sales, Amy? I had run a, a, just my own LLC before, and then I actually was kind of rejiggering my career and went back to school, studied business, uh, met someone in business school who had an idea for a business she wanted to launch, and it was a creative component to it. So I was very drawn to that. And we ended up launching a, a small venture. We raised money. We were a C-Corp and had big plans to license and franchise the concept. But I think we had started writing a business plan and within about a year, we were open for business. And at that point, I was in sales because you even just raising money to get the thing going was basically selling. But then once our doors were open and we were up and running for business, it was all about figuring out, well, how do we run this retail venture? And how do we, what is the sales process? How do we do everything from greedy customer to moving them through either them signing up for, we did a lot of classes and instruction, moving somebody through taking a class or taking instruction, and then what are the tools and the, um, and the products that they would need to go along with it. That retail led me to a position at Staples, which was actually in a finance role. And I started in finance, spent about a year doing that, and then moved into strategy for the sales organization and led a series of projects. I was working directly for the EVP of the, of the um, North American Commercial Sales Organization at Staples. And after leading a number of projects, he had asked me to move into a sales leadership position. So I um, then had the benefit of getting to work with some amazing salespeople, most of whom I'd gotten to know when I was leading strategy projects, but then was actually leading those teams and spent a number of years leading the mid-market sales division for Staples and just loved that. Amy, when I look at you know your career, it, it definitely doesn't look like the traditional trajectory to the a, point A to point B to point C. It, it seems like you've always been open to accepting whatever role or, or opportunities coming your way, regardless of whether or not you have the check marks on your resume or background to, to, to stop you. Uh, talk to me about that. Like, where did that come from? I don't know. I, I think I, um, I've thought a lot about, and, and I've had close friends and even, you know, my older brother asked me like, what, you know, you, you have, there's no fear. Like, where's, how do you just keep kind of going and keep raising your hand and asking for more? And I think for me, I just am endlessly curious and I'm always looking for a new adventure. I do not like to get complacent. And when somebody presents something to me, or if I think there's something that I can do, I'm the first person to say like, yep, I'd like to try that. I think the confidence or just the willingness to kind of jump into something feet first really is kind of buoyed up by the fact that I have a, a really strong network of you know close acquaintances and, and professional acquaintances and people who I know uh, will help me. So I spend a lot of time building my own internal network within whatever organization I'm working for, as well as external. And I've got a, you know, I have a, 
I've got a lot of people on speed dial. So if I need help, I know somebody will either, you know, puzzle something through with me or question some of the choices that I've made, you know, give me some good kind of healthy dialogue. And I think that has allowed me to really just keep raising my hand because that, that network, you never lose it. That just gets stronger and stronger and really helps you build, build your confidences. So I want to talk about two things there that you just kind of alluded to, one being fear, the second being network. Uh, totally, I, I like that concept of you know just not having that fear. But I think in conversations you and I have had in the past, you did talk about some hesitancy as you've uh, leveled up to each role, but you've had, as you said, your your network and, and good mentors come in and kind of talk you out of it. What's What's been the advice you've received as you've, you've climbed uh, each of those rungs? I had a a really great mentor. Actually, this was when I was at Staples and I was I had been asked to move into uh, a role where I was going to be leading big teams and, and responsible for um, a very large P&L. And I, at the time, just prior to that role, had been managing a small team. It was eight or nine folks who were all part of a strategy group and we knew what our jobs were. And it was, you know, we were kind of cranking. We were um, leading teams and running projects and stuff, but it was a very small group of eight or so direct reports. And when this other position opened up and I was asked to move into the role, I went to one of my mentors who I had never worked for directly, um, but I kind of expressed some of my concerns and just wanted to know, like, you know, what do you think? Does this actually make sense? Um, and he said, well, how many direct reports do you have now? And I said, well, eight people usually on average, um, maybe, you know, one more or one less, um, but eight. And he said, well, how many are you going to have in the new role? And I said, well, I'm going to have the same number of direct reports. There'll be a lot of people underneath them, but same number of direct reports. And he said, well, then what are you worried about? Like you're close with your team. Your team uh, is going to help you keep you going and the message will cascade. So if you set the right leadership tone and if you really help build up your team and make sure that they've got the tools and the training and the resources they need, then everything else will flow. And I took that advice to heart. I moved into the role and just loved it, loved it and was very close with the team that I had there. Amy, as, as I've talked to many uh, female leaders uh, on this show, I've kind of seen a, th- a theme emerge, if you will, that there's been a lot of struggle uh, or, or challenges in trying to make sure their voice was heard as they climb those rungs. But it doesn't seem like that's been your experience. So can you talk more about what, uh, what you've seen? I do a lot with helping to promote women in sales, and I participate in a lot of panels and have had a, a lot of dialogue and discussion around it. And I think my experiences have been maybe a little bit different than some others, although I would certainly never um, downplay anything that anybody has experienced. But I think for me, I was fortunate to work for all, I've always had male leaders that I've reported to. I've never had the benefit of working for directly for a woman. Um, But I don't think they have seen gender as it has never been a stopping point. And, And that might just be because I never have either. So I, while I do often count the number of women in a room or I will look around and and maybe think, oh gosh, I'm the only woman here. It has never stopped me from kind of speaking up or I don't, I don't feel like I've ever suffered from anybody not legitimizing the things that I had to say. Could be that I just wasn't paying attention to that and just kept speaking louder (laughs) and more frequently. But I think there is kind of a flip to it, which is if you just sort of move forward and if you do your job and I, I tend to be pretty disciplined and I, and I really do work for results. And if you can deliver the results, usually good things will follow. And I don't say that in any way to negate some of the challenges that I, f- I think people have faced. I sure. actually actively work to, to hire more women into our organization. We do a lot of hires through referrals. So when you have a lot of men on your team, they're probably going to refer more their, their male friends. Um, but the more women we get in here, the more female referrals we get. And, and I do just love that. I love um, having a gender diverse team as well as a, a racial and an ethically diverse team. They actually 
you know, perform, um, meet, meet quota faster and, and deliver higher results. So it is something that is important to me personally and also just professionally to our organization with the right, you know, kind of the business sense. Uh, we need it. I've seen so much value come out of that uh, diversity standard. I remember when I first started my career, I did some contract work for a company called Cummins. They're an engine company here in Columbus. And they were really big. This is 2000 timeframe, really big into diversity, a lot of initiatives around it. And I didn't understand it back then. I came from a very similar uh, background or upraising that everybody looked just like me. So I didn't really understand it back when I was just starting my career. But as I've gone throughout my career over the last almost 20 years, just being able to see all the different voices, all the different perspectives of the world, it's amazing to me, uh, how much that's influenced me. I, I do want to talk though, another theme, Amy, that I've seen emerge is for, for whatever reason, it seems to me that a lot of women will pause when given an opportunity and kind of like hesitate to take the role because they don't feel like they're 100% ready. Now, that's definitely not the case with you, but can you speak to that? Is that something that you see as well? I do. And I think some of this comes from this kind of questioning or feeling like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready. I think it comes from maybe just not having a strong enough network or not having enough people to just say like, yeah, go for it. You should do it. And so I like to try to provide people just that extra little oomph. There's nothing wrong with learning on the job. Um, I don't think that that's something that that every woman sort of understands or, or is grown up thinking. I do think that sometimes taking a, a, a pause, it can hold, it can hold you back. Um, at the same yeah. time, I think when women do enter into a job they take off faster, maybe because they have held themselves back a little bit until they felt like they were ready. Either way, you know, the end result is great. You get more women enroll by kind of encouraging them along the way. But I think that they also perform better immediately because they have waited a little bit longer. I just encourage everybody to, to raise your hand and take the job. I agree completely because I definitely don't see you know the male counterparts doing that. They, they do. They take the job. They learn on the job, as kind of uh, you mentioned. What advice do you have, uh, other than just take it, for uh, any woman who kind of sees herself or finds herself uh, in that moment of hesitation? I say, you know, there, you will, you will, you will be successful. Like, don't think about um, not succeeding because women tend to be, you know, highly social and uh, and build networks and your network of folks that you know internally and, and outside of your organization are the ones who will make sure that you succeed. So if you really have other people's best interest at heart, which usually when you're moving into a, a sales manager or sales leadership position, that, that's what you want, um, right, is to guide and lead people, you won't fail. I want to talk more about just networks in general. I know that you've talked about how strong uh, your network is and how it's helped you on numerous occasions. How do you continuously build that network? I had I had a guest on the show, Rod Jefferson, who made the comment, "Your network is your net worth," and and I totally agree with him. But you know, you personally have made some choices in your career, uh, whether it be uh, with starting a family, having kids. I know you've got twins, uh, but you've made some specific choices. I, I want to better understand how you continuously build and invest in your network. I can give a specific story kind of more recently and what ultimately led me to, to log me in. Um, while I was at Staples, I started getting involved with a bunch of um, women in sales organizations here in the Boston area. And it's there's so much high tech here the, the, the network that I was getting to know of other sales leaders were just happened to be in technology because that's what we have here. So I got very curious about it. I started to want to understand, you know, how does, how does that sales process or that particular thing that a SaaS-based company is doing, how could I apply that to the teams that I was leading who were in, you know, a distribution sales model? Sort of one thing led to another, you know, once I started 
really getting to to know my network here, I think I started to recognize like, oh, I could probably work in SaaS as well. While I don't have that experience on my resume, you just never know what might happen. And sure enough, I was approached by Logman a few years after I had begun building my network here and started talking to our SVP of sales here, who I now work for, about possibly coming here. So it was a great, easy transition for me because I already had a network of folks that I could go to and say like, hey, tell me about this company and talk to me about this sales process. And, and I think I knew this person from this other organization. And do you know him or her? And that's what helped me move into an industry that I was very attracted to and drawn to and wanted to try. And then those are also the folks who I then relied on when I was getting up to speed in my role here was my external contacts who were the ones that I would call and say like, wow, they do this and they do that. And what do you think of this you know, commission system? And I'm used to this other one. And it just gave me people to kind of, you know, bat ideas around with and, uh, and just validate some of the things that I was thinking. It does take work to build it. And you have to make sure that you commit time to it in any given week or month, um, especially if it's outside of your organization. These, these, you know, the, you have to kind of put yourself out there. Sometimes you might have to ask somebody out for coffee or for lunch, and you don't know if they're going to say yes or no. Um, but if there's somebody that you want to get to know and you think you would have something to offer them by way of expertise or just your, your social network, you got to make the effort and it will pay off in spades. Do you ever find that outside of the organization with you being in sales, when you do those invitations for lunches or coffees, that it comes across a little bit ingenuine in that you're just really trying to sell them something? Yes. And I've had those happen to me also uh, where I'm like, wait, do you really want to take me to coffee or are you trying to sell me something? And I just put it, just ask, just like, hey, yeah, I did enjoy meeting you at such and such an event. I'm happy to get together with you. Let's meet for coffee. And if we talk business for five, 10 minutes, that's fine. But then let's just do the rest on personal stuff. So um, nothing wrong with kind of being clear. And I've had other, and I've had a lot of people respond positively to that. I've had others say like, oh, well, gosh, I was hoping you needed a, a, you know, an X, Y, and Z. And I could say like, oh, well, if that's the topic, um, then we probably should wait a couple quarters because I'm, you know, I'm new here and I don't even have a budget to spend yet. So it would be a waste of your time to talk to me for half an hour. It can definitely go both ways. But I have a lot of friends who are in sales. So uh, we might need to spend, you know, the top of every time we get together kind of pitching each other on on the latest. Um, I'm actually trying to line up one of those calls right now with a, with a woman who is out in... Um, in Arizona, who who needs one of my solutions? <laughs> she does. She just doesn't know it yet. Okay. Okay. Oh, there we go. So, so that one definitely is a, a sales call in the in the work. So, but let's talk about uh, Amy, your your sales team. I know you you mentioned it, and I've kind of observed it. You are a very collaborative uh, leader. What does it take to be successful on your sales team? A lot of optimism, positive attitude, for sure. High level of discipline, so holding yourself and others accountable, like really being comfortable, um, you know, saying to the person sitting next to you, hey, you're not doing this thing. We're we're all supposed to be doing this, as well as holding yourself accountable. Teamwork and and collaborating is really important to me. And I think there's a difference between cooperating and truly collaborating. I think a lot of people in in a work environment, they just cooperate together and they call it collaboration. But collaboration is really when you come up with something new and you listen and you offer suggestions and you find a way to make something better. Um, and that's something that I, I challenge myself to do and, and my teams as well. And then I think just open mind and an open mind when it comes to the customer. We, we really try to make sure that as we are talking to our prospects and to our customers that we are listening and that we're not just trying to you know kind of shove a solution their way, but make sure that 
Um, it is something that they that they need, that there's pain there and that we're solving that in some way. And and then that that level of collaboration um, extends to the customer as well to make sure that um, if they do choose to do business with us, that what we are setting up for them is, in fact, what they need and is going to help them you know, enable their own workforce. I've certainly seen both sides of the coin here, but a lot of times with you know the high performing sales reps, they don't really, again, I've seen both sides, but a lot of them don't want to collaborate. They kind of see themselves as uh, almost like a lone wolf. They're going to do what they do and they're going to go you know, hit their numbers. They're going to exceed their numbers. Uh, how do you bring those people back down to the level of, hey, I need you to hit your number. I want you to hit your number, but I also want you to be a team player. Have you ever uh, had an experience around that? Yeah. I mean, there's always those folks who just knock it out of the park every time and they they're on to something, right? And I, I think I like that lone wolf description and all of the, the challenger sale model descriptors. But um, the lone wolf in particular, I think, is fascinating because you need them on your team. You know, you don't want them to leave right. necessarily. Um, but at the same time, there's got to be a way to harness that that energy or that ideas or, or, or the spark, right? So they can be an inspiration to others as well. And I think what, what I have tried to do in the past, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but ask them, make sure that you really understand what makes them tick and what motivates them. And then ask them about some specific things that they do, their sales process. Like, you know, oh, I've seen you taking notes in this Word document, or I've seen that that color-coded Excel spreadsheet. Like, what are you doing there? Like, is that something that we could scale? Like, could other people figure that out? You know, love that you're the the, the rock star, but could you help somebody else? Like, is, is what you are doing something that could translate to the broader team? Um, and just really embracing that knowledge or the spirit of whatever it is they're doing that helps them be successful. Others might not do it 100% or 110% in the same way, but there's nuggets of inspiration there. And I don't think anybody, if you create the right environment, even the lone wolf is happy to help mentor and coach people, especially if you if you make sure that they understand the impact that they can have. Because it can, I mean, some of those ideas, some of those things that that the people who are just out there living on the edge that they come up with are great, great, great ideas that they might not even realize they're doing something that's so unique. That's you just started to hit on that, and I was shaking my head. Yes, so, you know, I've I've been that lone wolf when I was just an individual contributor, and I, when I was you know completely exceeding my numbers, I would ha- ask have people ask me, "How are you doing that?" I'm like, "Well, it's just." It's intuitive to me. It's natural to me. But what you're saying, Amy, is if you start asking me specific questions about how I do certain things and actually observing it and then digging deeper into it, I would be glad to to give you that information. And I want to help train, et cetera. But if you just ask me the general question, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just being me. I find that really fascinating. It also shows that you have a genuine interest in the person as opposed to them just hitting quota. Yes. And it's not even, it's a dialogue, right? And it's not just like, oh, hey, go right yeah. the sales process, but really kind of watching and observing and which I'm just fascinated by, like, um, you know, sitting beside somebody um, at their desk and seeing kind of how they, how they navigate our, you know, our systems or how they make phone calls or how they take notes. Like I find all that stuff fascinating. And usually those, those top performers, those people who are onto something, they're doing something that they don't recognize is what is helping contribute to their success. But it's up to me to find that out. It's not up to them to tell me what it is, because that could hamper or hinder their own their own creativity and their own growth. Lean into that a little bit more, Amy. Like what are some of those things that you have observed your top reps doing that maybe they didn't even realize they were they were doing? The biggest thing, at least 
The biggest thing with my teams here, because we're selling multiple products. So in the communications and the collaboration line of business, we, we talked about join me earlier. There's six or seven or eight different things that we can, you know, solutions that we can provide our customers. So you got to be organized. You have to really understand. Um, and I think you need to have discipline around, I'm going to do this for an hour or so, you know, I'm going to do these things in the morning, these things in the afternoon. So making sure that you understand your process and what makes you successful and then how you navigate and provide solutions based on who you're talking to and what their needs might be. So I've seen people get really hyper-organized, you know, in, in Outlook, um, color-coded meetings so they know when it's a meeting that, you know, that they've initiated or it's a meeting where maybe their manager is going to be listening in. So just making sure that you understand like every minute of the day, here's what I'm doing. And then at the end of the day, getting ready for the next day. So I think being super organized because we do sell so many products to so many different kinds of customers is something that really helps here at Logman. And then I think also just having the discipline to once you are organized, like stick into it and give it, if you're trying something new in your own personal sales process, don't just give it a day or two. You got to give it a few weeks to see if it works. If I listen to that and I just think about the opposite, so uh, disorganization, uh, undisciplined, uh, you know, things like that, I can kind of maybe get the answer to what I'm about to ask. But what about the opposite, Amy? What about the reps that you see within 90 days? You can just tell it's just not going to work out. What are, what are they doing? So it's usually just not having a plan, right? Not, not, not knowing how to um, kind of own the day. I also think there, there can be challenges with somebody who just kind of snaps into, okay, I got to sell right away, rather than I need to just listen to the customers and I need to understand what I'm pitching and how it is helping them solve their, their problem or whatever their pain point is or whatever, whatever their needs are. So I think we encourage a lot of people to listen in on other people's calls as they're ramping up, you know, before you pick up the phone and start making dials, um, listen to how other people are doing it. For me, when I when I came here, and I think every time I've moved into a, a new role or a new product line, I spend as much time as I can at the beginning on sales calls with the sales engineer and the customer, just listening. So I then get to hear the pitch of the sales rep. I can hear the the solutions consultant or the sales engineer and kind of how they're describing the you know technically what the product is doing. But then you can also hear the customer and you can hear the questions they're asking um, and how they're kind of you know pressure testing the, the products that we have. And that is, you know, you're learning three things at once in any given half hour or hour. And I'm a big multitasker. So that just is, you know, 10x your, your knowledge yeah. um, by doing it in that way. I got to ask this, you know, um, you're talking about the success of your team now and the things that you notice when someone's not going to be successful. But what has been the biggest um, difference uh, for you, Amy, in the coming from Staples, which was a distribution type uh, model with sales to this SaaS world at LogMeIn? What have you seen from a, just a pure difference of sales perspective? I spent a lot of time thinking about when I moved, you know, from one type of a company to another type of a company, how would, how would it be different and what would be different? And you know, at its very base, it's the same, right? It's a personal connection and providing a solution and solving somebody's pain. So it's listening to the customer, understanding the customer. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Structurally, we're, we are aligned a little bit differently here in terms of we, we, we get leads, you know, often from e-commerce or from somebody kind of raising their hand through visiting our website and saying like, hey, I'm interested or filling out a, you know, a contact sales form. And then we call them. So that that lead gen is is different um, than it was with the teams I was leading at Staples. So we're, we're getting kind of a warm lead and then moving it through our sales process. It is more similar than it is different. 
I think the basics of sales, once you've got them down, it's a great skill set that you can apply to almost any industry. I completely agree with that. I tell everybody that when you learn and master how to create or generate revenue, you're never going to be without a job. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll actually say, I love that. You know, once you can see like where the money's coming from and just get involved with that, you'll never be out of a job. But I actually use that, in, you know, from a coaching perspective, when talking to people about how do you listen to your customer, like I always want to know it with any, especially, some, you know, a new prospect we're working with, like how are they making money? Because if you can then, if you can flip it and you can start to think around, well, what is this business and what is important to them? Once you know how they make money, you can figure out if what you're offering is going to help them or not pretty quickly. And you can either disqualify or continue the qualification process with them. But that's key. Well, not only is it key, I think, Amy, that is the golden nugget from our conversation today. So uh, I can't think of a better place to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. Uh, but when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Amy, are you ready for the money round? Oh, I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I think for me, it would have to be just believing that failure is really not an option. Um, I just keep raising my hand and asking for more. Even if I'm not sure that I'm quite ready, I, I know there's a way that, uh, that I will be successful. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would not go straight to what's the product and how am I selling it. I would go straight to visiting customers or listening in on calls and just really understanding how the customers are using the product. Just spend 30 days doing that and your sales will take off. A two-part question for you here. Uh, which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I think that I'd have to say I love to win because... With losing, there's something that I enjoy about it, but it's such an incredible learning opportunity, but just to help me win more. But I'll actually throw you a little bit of a curveball. So a new colleague of mine from this company that we had we just acquired, what he says is, I hate not to compete. And that gave me a new kind of light on this win or lose. I actually just want to be in the game. And when you get in the game, when you get a seat at the table, or when you raise your hand and ask for more, that to me is the most fun thing. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Okay, there's two. So I, something you will learn about me is I know, there's never a simple answer for me. I always over answer, but there's two books. They're both amazing. One is called It's Your Ship by Michael Abrashoff. I think I say his last name correctly, but it is an incredible book about um, sales leadership and sales responsibility. It's a fantastic book. Another one that I really enjoy is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And this is one where it's a very quick read. It's a parable. Um, there's a bunch of different characters, all of whom you can kind of see portions of yourself in. 
But the nice thing is that it gives you a different perspective on what it means to be part of a team. And I'm just a huge collaborator and I've learned a lot from that book and I, I recommend it to a lot of people. Sales Tears, if you'd like to check out either of Amy's suggestions of It's Your Ship or The Five Associations of a Team for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's It's Your Ship or The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Amy, I've read the second one uh, several times, but I'm going to have to pick up It's Your Ship and, uh, and give that a spin. Amy, what is currently at the top of your bucket list? So there's something that has quickly sprung up and moved to the top of my bucket list. It's something my husband and I are doing together. Um, so we live in Massachusetts, but New Hampshire is not far off. And we're both really avid hikers. And we have recently decided that we are going to hike all 48 of the 4,000 foot peaks in New Hampshire. So anybody who's from the, the Northeast would probably know what these are. It's called peak bagging. Um, we have three down and 45 more to go. What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Stay focused, stay positive, and, and then find people who kind of share your vision and, and really build your network from there. So if, you, if you've got like people around you and positive people with great attitude, um, they're just going to make you, you stronger and smarter. Amy said she's easy to reach on LinkedIn so long as the outreach has been personalized. Tell her you heard her on this show and you'll definitely get a response. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, understand how your prospect makes money. You already know how your company makes money and you already know how you make money once your company makes money. But during the sales process, if you really dig in and figure out how your prospects make money, well, then you can sync your offering with their real incentives. It truly doesn't matter what you sell. If you can figure out how your offering impacts their revenue engine, that is the key. Number two, put yourself out there. Your network is not just going to build itself. You have to commit time in a given week or a month outside your organization. Think about it just like you would building your pipeline. Who are the top three to five people you'd like to know? Reach out to them and ask for coffee or for lunch. Be genuine in your reasoning and figure out a way you can provide reciprocal value. This effort you put in now will pay off in spades for a long time to come. Number three, own your day. It's been mentioned a few times on this show, but understanding your own process and the things that make an impact are crucial to real success. Get organized and plan your day intentionally. Block time on your calendar to do the things you know you need to get done. And don't let the five to 10 minutes between meetings get wasted goofing off because you can't get any real work done during that short time. Also, at the end of each day, recap what you just did and plan for the day following. That's what's going to have the true impact you're looking for. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.SalesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay